And tonight, we're going, to be, we're going to be looking forward, actually, to a fortnight's time. In a fortnight, we're, we're holding a service here. I don't know whether you've heard about this yet, but called, called Invitation Sunday. Um, and the idea behind this Sunday is to have a service that's really geared especially towards folks who, who wouldn't ordinarily come to church. So maybe, you know, it's a great opportunity to invite friends who you might have invited to the, to the carol service or, you know, different points in the past. And, and the timing of it, it's, we've designed it to, to fall just before the Alpha course. Um, so there'll be um, an opportunity to talk, to, to talk a little bit about, about Alpha and for people to express an interest in Alpha if they'd like to come along to that. And so we want to make this building in a fortnight's time a newcomer-friendly environment. So if it's okay, if everyone is sort of on board with this, can we just pretend for one Sunday that we're all like normal people? Would that be all right? <laughs> is that too much to us? So we're going to be on our best behavior. The Connect team are going to have extra strength breath mints issued to them. And like, you know, we're going to pick all like the best songs and I'm going to do my bestest, bestest effort at the talk. And weird prophetic outbursts are banned for one Sunday. <laughs> Famous, famous last words, isn't it? Um, but, but just to let you in on things, we really did wrestle for a little while, wondering, is Invitation Sunday the right thing to call that service? Because what we didn't want to do was imply in any way that other Sundays aren't an Invitation Sunday. Because the way that we want to do church here, uh, our hope is that every Sunday is a great opportunity to invite people along. Every Sunday is an invitation Sunday. And we, 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 we try and do that in lots of little ways. Like, you've probably noticed if you've, been here for, if, you've, if you've been here for more than a couple of times, you've probably noticed that the announcements are the same every single week, aren't they? Like, I don't know, how many of you here reckon you could have a good go at doing the announcements? <laughs> yeah, of course you, you could, you could, because you've heard it so many times. Um, so, but the thing is that we want, we, want, we want every Sunday to be really, really welcoming. Now, the other thing that we weren't really sure about the language of Invitation Sunday um, was that we didn't, we, d- we didn't want to communicate or imply in any way that sharing our faith, that doing like, evangelism, just boils, is just simply about inviting somebody along to church because actually it's so much broader than that. As followers of Jesus, we've been given this much broader holistic role as, as ambassadors of his kingdom to try and invite um, everyone that we encounter to experience the kingdom of God in some way. You know, like, so, you know, the language that John and Debbie have been using for the last year or so is um, extending God's kingdom together everywhere in every way. And so we're called to, to do that through, through sharing the gospel, through sharing love and generosity and compassion, for looking for opportunities to, to pray for people and see the kingdom breaking in every single personal encounter. This is something that applies um, you know, on a Sunday, but it also applies through the week in our workplaces, in our communities, um, it, with our friends and our family, when we're traveling from place to place. And so inviting somebody along to church on a Sunday is one specific aspect as part of this much broader commission. But having said that, in two weeks' time, for one Sunday, we want as a church to get really especially excited about that one particular aspect. We want the invitations to go out far and wide and really to just fill this auditorium in the morning and in the evening with friends, family, with people who we know who, who don't yet know Jesus. Wouldn't that, that would be really cool, wouldn't it? And so... We want to come together in that, and we want to do this together, and we want them to ultimately to kind of like experience something um, of Jesus, to experience something of the gospel 
perhaps reflect on something spiritual that they haven't reflected on for a while and encounter what we have heard, the good news about Jesus. And it, and it really is good news. Um, this week, um, a, a little story, a couple of guys from here went out into, into the town. They go every week um, to, to, to sort of initiate conversations with just strangers, really, um, hoping that they can sort of, you know, people will be up for talking about Jesus, tell them a little bit about that. And um, they, they initiated this conversation with this one guy who had, who, it was his first day in Nottingham, having moved here from overseas to study for a year. Um, and he didn't have any faith. There were some people in his family who were Christians, but he just didn't agree with religion, he said. Um, but they got into a conversation with them because he was really, he was really open to talking. Um, and it got to the point where really they, they, they shared with him the news about what Jesus had done, how he died on the cross and how he, he died for our sins and he rose again. And they, they talked about all that. And as they said, he, his response to that was, he said, wow, that really sounds like good news. And they were like, yeah, that's exactly how we describe it. That's, exact, we, it's, that's what it is. And um, they got to the point where they said, hey, would you, you know, do you feel, how would you feel about, about responding to this in some way? Would you like to invite Jesus into your life? Would you like to start a new you know, chapter in, in your journey and start to follow him? I can't, I can't remember exactly how they said that, but they gave him that invitation. And he said to them, do you think I would have been talking to you for 20 minutes if I wasn't ready to do that? And so they prayed for him. It's really, really cool. And so today what I want to do is, is talk a little bit about why we do that and how we do it. And um, as we look forward to two weeks' time and Invitation Sunday, what I want to do is kind of like stick my neck out a little bit. And I want to set a numerical goal for us as a church. Now, this, I, I feel like this was a slightly risky thing to do because I hadn't actually spoken to Johnny, John and Debbie about it in advance. Um, and also, it's a bit risky, really, to you know, say, oh, let's go for a number, because you know, if you fail, you look a bit silly, don't you? And also, because really, it's not about numbers, is it? It's about people. But having said that, on this occasion, I, I, I've got a specific number in mind, and I would love for us to pray and take ownership of this together and go after it. And here's that number. Today, tonight, I want to ask you, who is the one person in your life who God is speaking to you about right now. Just take, it, just take a moment to reflect on that. Who, who's the person that springs to mind? And I wanna suggest that this is a question that, that's relevant to every person in this room. We have this saying in the vineyard, everyone gets to play. And we believe that this sort of, this commission, this job of, of going and sharing our faith and talking to people about Jesus is not just a job for the specialist evangelism type people like the commandos. It's a job for, for everyone. And I think that message, that's, that, that, that is a point that needs to be made. Because um, I read recently, there was a study by the Evangelical Alliance. They did a survey, and they asked practicing Christians to comment on this statement. It will come up on the screen. It's every Christian's responsibility to talk to non-Christians about Jesus. And I was really surprised that just 45% said they strongly agreed with that statement, less than half. I was really surprised by that because I think this is something that the Bible is explicitly clear about. Um, you only need to look at um, what Jesus said at the end of Mark's gospel in chapter 16. Um, he gathered his followers um, around him and he said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This wasn't just a, a commission for the specialist evangelism people. He said it to, to all of his followers, and he says it to all of us. He's saying it to you, and he's saying it to me. Everybody gets to be part of this. Everybody gets to play. 
It may be that you're thinking, well, I'm not really sure about me. I'm, I'm really new to faith. Or you might be thinking, I'm still really on a journey of faith. I'm not really sure what I, what, what I believe yet. I don't know if I've got enough faith for myself, let alone enough to share with other people. And I would say even to you, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're on a spiritual journey is something that's worth sharing. And one of the things that I think I've seen and one of the things that I want to get across is that God has a way of using whoever he wants to get this message of good news across. So who is the one for you? Who springs to mind? For some of you, it might be two or three. It might be your whole office. But, but failing that, who's the one? Who's the one? I just want to read a little um, a, a parable um, that Jesus um, told one day. It's in, if you've got your Bible, it's in Luke's Gospel in chapter 15. Jesus, he said, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he, he, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I've found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner that, who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Now, if, um, if, you, if you read in, in Luke's gospel, the few sort of like chapters before this story, um, what you notice is that Jesus told this parable in the middle of this ongoing conflict that he was having with the, the spiritual authorities of the day, the religious teachers, the Pharisees. Um, they weren't really big fans of Jesus. They kept on accusing him of, of, of not really paying attention to the, to the details of the, of the scriptures of the law. Um, and they sort of were accusing him of not really behaving like a respectable teacher, respectable rabbi should. Now, meanwhile, Jesus was, was, was dishing the challenges back to them. He was exposing um, the way that they were hypocritical in the way that they carried the, the, themselves. And he was kind of revealing to them that in all of their efforts to be so true to all the details of the law, they were losing sight of the things that were actually most important to God. In other words, he was saying to them, you know, your heart isn't in the right place. And so it was one of these sort of tit-for-tat exchanges where, where this is how this parable got told because they, they challenged him. Um, if you read the, the verse before, at the start of chapter 15, it says, now, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, that's Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So they were, they were challenging them. And Jesus responds to that accusation simply by, by telling them this story of the lost sheep. And in doing so, he was essentially saying to them, those, those sinners, those tax collectors that you're on about, do you want to know how God sees them? Do you want to know how God, how he feels about those people? They are his lost sheep. And, and, and to that audience, that, that image would have needed no explanation because they were teachers of the law. They knew the scriptures and they would have been familiar with this persistent analogy that was used throughout the Old Testament to describe God's people as his flock, as his sheep. And when God's people wandered away from him, they were described, this picture of the lost sheep was used. So, you know, one example from, from Jeremiah, when the prophet Jeremiah was speaking on behalf of the Lord, um, about how God felt about the nation of Israel rejecting him. In chapter 50, he said, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. 
And so what Jesus was doing in this parable, he was using an, an image that the audience were familiar with. And he was trying to help them understand that the people that they jeered at, the tax collectors and the sinners, they were God's precious lost sheep. And his heart just longed for them to come home. Now the Pharisees, they, they, did, they didn't get it. I personally, I think, I think they saw God I think they viewed God as the type of God who, who would say to a lost sheep, you know, if you're stupid enough to get lost, if you've you know, made that decision, you find your own way back. Because that's how they seemed to function. They thought life was all about doing and obeying all these laws and working and working and trying to, do, to earn your way back into God's presence. And the last thing that they were expecting was a God who loved his children so much that he would come after them, that he would pursue them even if they'd intentionally run away from him. And I think that's why they never really understood Jesus. If they had, they would have realized that these lost sheep were the very people that Jesus had come for. But I think that is something that we can get because we have the benefit of, the, of reading you know, the New Testament and the letters, and I think God's given us this to help us see how much he cares about the people who aren't in this room right now how much he cares about the lost sheep out there. You know, week in, week out, hundreds of us gather together, and don't get me wrong, he loves this. He absolutely loves it when we worship like this. But what this parable tells us is the thing that, he, the thing that his heart is longing for more than anything is for one of those lost sheep to come home. For a moment, like the moment where somebody walks through those doors for the first time and they hear about Jesus and they encounter the message of the gospel and they respond to that and find their way home. Now, now today, in 2017, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet today. And so this role of shepherd now is falling to us. We are to share Jesus' heart. We too are to be the pursuers of the lost sheep. And so as we kind of look at what that might mean, I've got two points that I want to draw out from this little passage. And, and forgive me, because these points, they're going to seem a little bit obvious at first, um, but hopefully there'll be more in them than what we read initially. So here's the first one. Going after the lost is a no-brainer. Does everybody know what a no-brainer is? It's kind of like an obvious choice, yeah? So when you look at this, when you look at this story closely, you see that Jesus used um, rhetoric. Um, he, 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 he asked a rhetorical question, a question that was so obvious that it didn't even need answering because the answer was just there. Um, this is the question he asked. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? Sort of the implication is, this is a no-brainer. That's exactly what you do. Now, for me, I'm not, um, I don't really have very much experience of shepherding, much less ancient Palestinian shepherding. So to me, this actually isn't that obvious. I don't know, have you ever read this passage and thought, I don't know, actually, that seems like a slightly risky shepherding strategy because what happens if you, you come back with the one sheep and then the 99 have been like eaten by the wolves? Then that is rubbish shepherding. Now, have you ever, has anybody ever thought that? Well, this is where... We, we have to do a little bit of digging around in the context to try and understand and, get, and guess how this would have been understood into the original audience. And so I was looking at a few commentaries to try and understand this better. And, and one thing that I noticed in a few of them, what they, they, they sort of agreed on this idea that most probably 
the audience would have had a certain picture of, of shepherding in mind because they were familiar with this. This was part of their landscape. And in, in particular, there probably would have been an understanding that shepherds often work together. Typically, they would work together. There might be a number of flocks that were together. A bit like, you know, in the nativity story when the, the shepherds are working together. In which case, if that was the case, then this one shepherd could have left his flock with those guys and then gone off and pursued the other one. Now, I'm not, this is not something that's explicitly there in the text. It's just a, a reasonable guess. But I really like that explanation because, to me, that, that makes sense of, of this conclusion that, that Jesus clearly did reach where he arrived at this point where he's saying, look, if you're a shepherd and you lose a sheep, this is a no-brainer. You go after it. And so, you know, in other words, maybe a more modern rendering of this parable that we would all get would be, um, which of you teachers, if you're on a school trip and um, you lose one of the kids, <laughs> does not put the 29 kids on the bus with the teaching assistants and go and scour the gift shop until you found the kid? It's like what you do, isn't it? It's, what teachers don't do is they don't come back and go, 29 out of 30, that's not bad. That's not bad, is it? They don't do that. You go after the one because it's your job. It's a no-brainer. But the funny thing is, I think as Christians, that's not what we do all the time. We all have lost sheep in our lives. Um, but I think a lot of the time, the reality is that many of us, we're the kind of shepherds who say, oh, they'll be all right out there. You know, if they want to come home, they'll, they'll, they'll figure out their way home in their own time. And, or we might, we might look, come here on a Sunday and look around and be like, well, this is a pretty good flock, actually. We've got 99 in the fold. Who cares if there's one or two out there? But I think that's something where Jesus would say, no, no, you really don't understand. I care about everyone. That same um, Evangelical Alliance study that I mentioned before, it revealed another statistic. Apparently, more than half non-Christians who have a Christian friend have never had a conversation with that friend about Jesus. I always thought that was just shocking. Apparently, in, in the age bracket 45 to 54, that, that, that number jumps up to two-thirds and I think, I think God, he looks at that statistic and he says, that's crazy. That's crazy. You, you go after that sheep. Raise the alarm. Start, start the search. You know, um, this Christmas we had, a, we had a staff party in the cafe through there, which was just the most awesome night. Everybody was in fancy dress. I don't think I've ever seen people who were that sober sort of party quite so hard. It was really amazing. But part of the way through the um, evening, there was this lady called um, Becky who works here who lost one of her earrings. And she confided in, uh, in a friend that, with a friend that um, this, this earring belong, had belonged to her grandma. It was really precious to her. And so within moments, the desire to find this ring, ring had just spread around the room. And everybody was like looking and there was like loads of stuff all over the phone. But people had got their phones out and they were shining their torches on the floor to try and, you know, find it. And it was a super challenge. Like, just to give you a bit of a feel for it, I've got a little mini clip of the party. During this clip, if you can take your eyes off the costumes for a second and just look at the floor, look at the state of the floor. Go for it. Yeah. That's how we spend our time socially, just so you know. And so finding this, this earring was a nightmare, but, but people weren't put off because 
They, they, they understood its value. Now, in that room, there were plenty of unlost earrings on people's ears all over the place. In fact, there was a perfectly good unlost earring on Becky's other ear. But everybody understood, everybody grasped that, that right now, those earrings don't matter. The one that matters is the one that's lost. And to make things um, even harder, the earring, it turns out, it had broken into, into three pieces because um, we found a couple of the pieces, but then there was the pearl, the bit in the middle that was still missing, and all this stuff, we'd, we'd almost given up hope. And then eagle-eyed Rob Laycock victoriously plucked it from the floor, and there was much rejoicing. And there's a photo of the, of the earring. There it is. Now, I love the way that from the moment the alarm was raised, this urgency spread around the room. And, and what I really hope, what I've been praying about, is that we can stir some of that same urgency in us as a people tonight. I want to I raise the alarm because there are people in our lives who are lost sheep. They don't know the Lord and, and I want to ask you, as, as Jesus asked us, which of you, if he has a friend who doesn't know the Lord and is lost, will not depart from a moment from your friends in the flock and go after that lost sheep and pursue them and give them an invitation to come home? And I know when I say it like that, it, it, is, it does sound like a no-brainer, doesn't it? And I guess, I guess that's my first point. Now, the other thing that I wanted to say, and forgive me, again, because this second point, it sounds obvious at first, is, is this. What they need is bringing home. I think one of the big challenges as we look to sort of share our faith, share the message of the gospel, is that I think when we do that, culturally speaking, we're doing something that is a little bit impolite, if not like borderline offensive, because in essence, we're kind of implying to people I think I know what you need in, in your life. I think there's something missing in your life, and I think I know what it is. And I think that's the underlying reason why sharing our faith is sometimes awkward, because people don't necessarily like what we're implying when we, when we invite them along here. We don't, they don't necessarily enjoy the fact that we're sort of saying, oh, I think there's something missing in your life, really. And you can see why they might find that a little bit patronizing. I hate it when people tell me what I should be doing or if they tell me I'm doing something wrong or if they tell me I'm going the wrong way. I just don't handle it in a very sort of grown-up way. But I think that's sometimes how people feel when we invite them along to church. They don't like the fact that we're implying that maybe they might be a little bit lost. But that doesn't sort of negate the fact that they actually are. Some people are really great at, at hiding the fact that they're lost. You know, from their lives, they've, they've, they might have, you know, great possessions and a great job and friends and family, and they, and they feel pretty happy day in, day out, and they appear to have lots of conviction in purpose in life. They've got it all mapped out. They look anything but lost. But the truth is, without Jesus in their life, they really are. They're they're lost, 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 lost. And I think deep down, even if it's on a subconscious level, I think people know this because they know that there's, there's this longing in their heart to come home. And I think that's the truth. But this is a truth that we need to handle really, really sensitively. This is not about going and telling people this is what you should be doing or, or judging people or sort of patronizing them. This is a truth that we need to handle sensitively, compassionately, and lovingly. But the truth is that they do need bringing home. 
and we need to keep giving them that invitation. And I think this story that we read about, this parable that Jesus told, kind of illustrates the moment where the shepherd acted on that conviction and switched from a, from a passive posture of just sort of like watching over his or her flock and switched to an active posture of pursuing. And I think that, that, that really challenged me. As I reflect on my own life, um, I think my default is often to remain like a passive shepherd. I've got you know, lots of um, lost sheep in my, in my sort of friendship group. And I think you know, often when I sort of bump into them, and we get into conversation and they kind of bleat at me to say, you know, I'm not lost, I'm fine, I know where I'm going. They don't need a shepherd. I think this, often this groundswell of sort of like British politeness kicks in and I find myself essentially saying something that's along the lines of like, oh, well, you know, it sounds like you've got it all covered. And I, and I kind of wander on from that conversation feeling a little bit unsettled. Do you ever feel a little bit like that, unsettled? Because in my heart of hearts, I know that they are lost. In, in fact, they're, 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 this parable tells us they're in peril. They're like a sheep in the open country. And I think this is a little bit tragic because as Christians, we really do know what these folks need. We have found the way home. In this book, we found direct, this book is filled with directions for us to find our way home to God. All the way through it. I was just reading a couple of days ago in Isaiah, chapter 35, talks about um, this, the, the, a highway that God has made, this straight path that's a safe path along which the ransomed will find their way home. The language is all the way through it. In Ephesians chapter two, it talks to the, dresses the church and says, talks to us and says, you who, who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then um, just this other, this other example in, in, in Romans, this one will come up on the screen, I think. In Romans chapter 10, Verse nine, listen to this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it's with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. These, these words, they're, they're the way home, they're directions home. These words are, are, are the things that, that everybody needs to hear. If we, if, we really, if we really believe that this is true, it's such good news. It's imperative that we share it. We can't read this and then, and then go on pretending that we haven't. We can't learn this and know this and, and live as though, as though we don't know it because once we've encountered Jesus in that way, it's something that we just simply have to change. We, sorry, that we have to share. We can't pretend that things haven't changed. It, it, um, it reminds me of um, a few years ago, I lived in this different house in Stapleford, and the guy who lived opposite um, won 45 million on the lottery, okay? And um, this was not a particularly affluent street. He was, I think it's safe to say he was the wealthiest person on that street from that point on. And, and we didn't really know him, although I think we had invited him to a barbecue once before, so we did feel a little bit snubbed that he didn't give us 100 grand for being nice neighbors or something like that. But the funny thing about this guy um, that we noticed was that in some ways, the money um, didn't really change him because um, the house, um, this sort of ex-council house, he kept hold of that house. I think he might have given it to a friend or something, but you'd see him round there. He'd spend his days, all the time he'd be round there, just hanging out with his friend, and there was, there was little to really sort of betray the fact that he, he had this enormous amount of wealth at his, at his disposal, apart from the Aston Martin outside. But that doesn't, that doesn't really help illustrate my point. The point is, you know, in some ways, you couldn't tell 
that his life had changed. And I think that is, you know, in some ways, that's a sad picture of, of what a lot of Christians can be like sometimes, is how we can behave. Because when we come to faith, it's so much more than winning the lottery. It's the most incredible thing. Here in, um, in 1 Peter, this is just a, a sort of a glimpse of, of what happens when we come to faith in Jesus. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I mean, there is some seriously cool stuff in that passage, isn't there? There's, a, there's um, his great mercy, his grace. There is, um, he's caused us to be born again into a new life. It talks about how that life is, is, is starting right now, but is stretching on into an eternity where we will receive an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. It's seriously cool stuff. And when we choose to follow Jesus, that is what we come into. We receive all of that. That's the grace and the generosity of God. And so it's crazy if we live in a way that doesn't change as a result of that. And what's more, it's crazy if we overlook this opportunity to share this treasure with people that we love, with friends and colleagues and people who we know in, in family and so on, the people around us, because this really is what they're craving for. It's what they're thirsting for. This is why they're wandering around deep down inside, knowing that, that there's something missing, knowing that in some way they're lost. And this is something that we, I think we can see it in our culture. It's all around us, in our streets, in our workplaces, we are surrounded by people who, who are, you know, they're insecure, they're, they're, they're lacking purpose in life, they're feeling angry, they're looking for sort of like a meaning, they're looking for um, a, a life that's rewarding, they're looking for peace in their heart, and they're looking for relationships that are actually real. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have the joy and the privilege of helping them discover that. You know, if, you, if you're here and you're one of those people, if you are in a place where right now you're exploring faith and you're looking for, you know, those answers, know that, that through, these, through this community, through these people, they can help you find all of those things in the person of Jesus. Genera, genuine, loving community, a purpose in life, a cause to live for, peace and, uh, and real, real relationships. The, thing, the types of things, really, that, that every human heart is longing for, a way home. If, if actually, welcome home. Welcome home to this. And I think the question that it begs for all of us is, so, so who is the person in your life? Who's the one right now who you really feel needs to come home? Now, I know that, that just inviting somebody along to one Sunday service isn't necessarily the silver bullet, the perfect solution for every person. But I want to suggest that it, that it is a start. It's something. And actually, it could be a very strategic, effective start. According to the research group um, Barna, they, um, they, they suggest that a personal invitation from a friend remains by far the most fruitful way of helping somebody start their journey of faith. And so what we wanted to do tonight was, was give you, equip you with a few tools that might help you as you consider doing this. If you want to invite somebody along, we wanted to give you a few, few things to help with that. So um, one thing, initially, if you're part of a small group, 
Um, we've, we've put some resources on, on, on the website that um, if you're a small group leader, over the next two weeks, you could use those as small group sessions and, and look at this idea of sharing faith together. Also, you'll notice that you that you're sat on one of these little flyers, um, the You're Invited flyers. And what this is, this is the idea of this is that it's kind of like um, a little invitation, really, that you can personalize and, uh, you know, jo- invite somebody along to one of the services and, and give it along to them. And also, if, you're, if, you, if you can think of loads of people, we've got lots more of these at Connect and also on the way out. So, so do think, who's the person who's going to receive that? And also, there's a, there's a, there's a link there to a web page um, that, that's basically a bit like a digital invitation. If you, if you go to trentv.org slash invitation, it, it's like a, li- a link that you could pass on to people and send them to give them a glimpse of what to expect and some of the practical stuff that they might need to know to get here. And this is going to be slightly chaotic, um, but we're just about to send a text out with that link to everybody on the database. So the phones might, might start going nuts in the next few seconds. Sorry about that. If you don't receive a text, um, that means that you're not on our database. So if you want to be, if this is your church, grab a Connect card tonight and fill one of those out. And But we'll send that to you. So hopefully those things might be of some practical use to you. Yeah, did some people get a text? Yeah, of course you did, yeah. Let's just, let's just ignore it for now, though, eh? So, carnage. Beep, beep. Um, before we go, I just wanted to show you a video of, um, of Ollie and Tommy's story. It's just a short clip. Hi, I'm Ollie. This is my friend Tommy. We've known each other for about eight and a half years and we're housemates for three of them. A couple of years ago, I invited Tommy to church. And so we're going to have a chat in this not at all set up environment about what that was like. Tommy, can you remember how I first invited you along to Trent? Yeah, it was, it was when we um, were living together with two other Christians from Trent as well, and um, you were all kind of half-jokingly inviting me along every week, and uh, I was just never really interested because I just wanted to play on my Xbox. Um, but one week I um, finally caved in because it was one of our friends' um, baptism services, and uh, yeah, I came along to that, and uh, it was good. What was it like when um, you were kind of inviting me along? Obviously we were... Like a bit nervous about asking you, and I mean we did obviously go on about it every week. Um, but then when you did eventually say yes, on the outsides we were playing it cool, but on the inside we were absolutely loving it, and yeah, really excited I guess. And that that first one you came, uh, what were your first impressions of Trent? Um, a bit different to um, how I first um, envisioned it, because um, you know it's not like a typical church building. Um, it's a big warehouse, and we're playing like modern um, music, and uh, yeah, not like seeing him. So. Um, yeah, it was a bit different, and everyone's really welcoming, so it was, um, yeah, great to come along, I guess. Okay, great, and when would you say your journey of faith properly started? Um, it was when you um, invited me along to one of the momentums, uh, which is a big Christian festival, which I've never been to before. Um, yeah, you promised me, like, there would be a lot of football, but uh, I think we ended up playing, like, a couple of games, and that was it. Um, but it was really good, and um, yeah, when like everyone's just gathered together in a big tent, worshiping, and um, yeah, like um, learning more about Jesus, that kind of got me thinking about who this character really is. So that's when we first started, really. Okay, and then you did Alpha, and how was that for you? Yeah, it was really good. Um, what tempted me the most was probably the, um, the free food. But, um, yeah, I'm really glad I went along. Um, when I was exploring faith. 
during Alpha? What, what were you feeling? I guess I was, I was excited for you, like I said, and, and, and nervous, like not knowing what you were thinking. But I guess praying for you and praying for, I guess, a bit of a breakthrough. Was there like a specific breakthrough point? Yeah, in one of the weeks um, we talked about um, the reliability of the Bible and uh, kind of um, once I realised that um, there could be a God out there who uh, loves you for uh, regardless of um, what you've done. Um, yeah, like that, that alone was like a massive breakthrough for me to um, um, kind of continue that journey really. And so was that when you decided to follow Jesus? Um, no, it was uh, probably a couple of weeks after that. Um, I don't know if you remember, but um, I was just kind of like reading the Bible one night and uh, I bumped into you and I was, as I was going to my room and I told you that I decided to follow um, Jesus and uh, you offered to pray for me and for whatever reason I, I turned it down. Um, yeah, I think I literally could tell like you were, yeah, you were, you were ready to, to follow Jesus like you said, um, but you weren't, you were like, oh no, I'm fine, thanks, and you just went off to bed. Yeah, and uh, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done that. But um, yeah, and after that, I went to my room and uh, just kind of like looked up and um, kind of asked myself, like, oh, how do I actually do this? So I, uh, I just went, like, went out to Google and like typed in the old question, how do you give your life to Jesus kind of thing. And then said a little prayer, and that was it. So, yeah. Okay, now obviously, we're a couple of years on, and I've definitely seen a load of changes in your life. But do you feel differently now that you know Jesus? Yeah, definitely. Um, as you know, like last year was um, quite tough for me, but um, knowing that um, yeah, God has my back and uh, it just made it a, a lot more bearable, I guess. And uh, yeah, it just meant that I kind of learned to um, trust Him and uh, lean towards Him when times are tough and uh, just got to believe that He is working something in my life when whatever, whatever's bad is going on. So um, yeah, that's probably the biggest change for me, really. And. Uh, I'm also like super grateful that uh, you guys um, kept inviting me along and didn't, didn't give up when I was um, rejecting you guys. Um, so um, yeah, like I'm really glad um, I did come along in the end and like my whole life's changed, so yeah. Great. You finished? Done. Yep, cheers boys. Thank you. I think the, the thing that I really love about that little video is that often in, in, in church, what, the stories that we often love to celebrate are the really like dramatic stories. The stories where people come to faith because of some incredible miraculous coincidence or you know, something that was so obviously miraculous. We love those kind of stories and we get excited about them. But, but the thing that I think I've seen through being involved here over, over, over the years is that far more people come to faith through, through stories like that, apart from the Google bit. Like, just stories that are, you know, ordinary, but, but in, in a sense, no less extraordinary. Stories that are natural, but supernatural at the same time. Everyday stories, but utterly miraculous stories. And stories where, where the unsung heroes are these doggedly persistent shepherds who just won't give up, who, who won't stop loving, and they won't stop inviting, and they won't stop praying until that sheep has found its way home. And I think reflecting on, on my own personal journey, um, I, I, as a child, I grew up being taken to church, but for a whole bunch of reasons, by the time I got to university, really, I'd reached a point in my life where 
I had little or, or no faith, basically. There was, there, was, there was just virtually nothing there. And God intervened. God sent shepherds into my life to help me find my way home. People who are very dear friends to me now. I've got a friend called Al, a friend called Paul, a friend called Hannah. And, and, and I was the kind of annoying sheep who, who even though, you know, every time I found my way back home, I'd go wandering off again. Don't know if any of you have got a friend like that, but they just, they kept at it. And they never judged me. They never told me what I needed to do with my life. They never wagged a finger. But ultimately, they did know what I needed. They knew that I needed bringing home. And between them, they managed to, to help me get there because they just didn't give up. And I'm so grateful that they did because it's completely transformed my life. And if they hadn't, I might still be wandering around on the mountainside today. And so I wanna encourage you to go after your sheep because it's a no-brainer, because it's what they need, and ultimately because God has put you in their life to be their shepherd.